Hey guys, and welcome back to the Image Junkies podcast with me, Christian Parkinson. Amazingly, this is episode number 25. Um, when I first started the podcast, I never thought I'd get beyond two or three, so that's a bonus. Apologies if the sound quality isn't perfect today, but uh, I'm just recording it using the inbuilt mic on my Mac, so hopefully it still sounds okay. Now, today's just a quick short episode. I wanted to do a quick Q&A and answer some questions that people have been sending me on social media recently. So it's not an interview today, it's just me answering a few basic questions that I thought you might find interesting. So the first one, this is, this is coming in from Instagram on an Instagram story. I got asked, what's the most dangerous situation you've found yourself in? Well, those of you who know me will know that I've covered quite a lot of conflict over the years, from Gaza to Somalia, to the wars in Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan. So I've seen and experienced quite a bit. But in fairness, in most of those conflicts, I haven't been, I haven't felt anyway, I have been in danger, but I haven't felt directly in danger. Very rarely have I had bullets whistling past my ears or felt I was about to get killed. There's only been a couple of times that's different. One of those was in Afghanistan on Christmas Day 2007, when I was embedded with 40 Commando of the Royal Marines, 40 Commando Royal Marines, and uh, we were out on patrol by FOB Gibraltar, Forward Operating Base Gibraltar. I was with Delta Company. And while we were crossing open ground around the nearest village, um, there was um, an ambush, I guess you would call it, from the Taliban. I don't think it was a very big ambush, but there was definitely incoming fire, and we all kind of hit the ground. And... As I sort of raised my head to get shots, I heard that as it's as bullets literally sort of cracked. To say within inches is probably an exaggeration, although that's how it felt at the time. But certainly very close to me. Um, and then you know our guys sort of got their act together, started returning fire, and fairly quickly it died down, and we were able to move on. But but that was probably as close as I've come to bullets coming in my direction. But the most scared that I've been, because if I'm being honest, I wasn't actually that scared then, probably because I was in my 20s, single, and loving every minute of it, and kind of living my dream of filming wars, which is no longer my dream, but certainly was in my 20s. So I wasn't particularly scared, if I'm being honest. Now, when I've been really scared has mainly been stuck at checkpoints in the middle of the jungle in Africa. And there's one particular time that I'm thinking about in 2008 when I was caught in a bit of an awkward predicament by the Congolese army. So it was my first trip to the DRC, to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And while I was there, uh, we were filming uh, refugees, or IDPs I guess you would call them, fleeing from the fighting around Goma. You know, hundreds of thousands of these guys, great shots, great images. I was very excited. And nobody told me not to film the army because they're complete fucking psychopaths. And so this army patrol walked by me and I sort of started filming them. Didn't think anything of it. Next thing I know, their sort of commanding officer comes and starts screaming in my face. Bizarrely, he actually spoke some English. But he was shouting at me, you know, what are you doing? What are you filming? And I sort of, you know, tried to back away, saying, oh, I'm ever so sorry. Uh, I wasn't filming you. I was just filming the street, and you walked by. Apologies. 
And that wasn't good enough for him. And he said, give me the tape, give me the tape. And because I was a bit slow giving him the tape, I suddenly heard, as all his men cocked their weapons and pointed them at me. I realized I was completely on my own. I didn't know where the rest of my team were. Uh, at this point, though, luckily, we had a security advisor with us who must have been watching from a distance and then popped up. And he was able to calm them down a little bit. Uh, but not totally, but he took the edge off things a little bit. They then pushed us into our vehicles and decided they were going to take us to the local commander. Um, and they all got in our vehicles. And I was on my own in one vehicle and everybody else was in the other with these thugs behind us. And um, I had this bizarre conversation with this guy who was actually Angolan, but was in the Congolese army. So I speak a little bit of Spanish and obviously he speaks Portuguese. So we were kind of communicating and uh, he seemed very happy, and I thought, this is strange, but I thought, well, you know, if he's happy. Anyway, about two miles down the road, the vehicle stopped, and Ben, the security guy we were with, sort of came over to our vehicle and said, look, I've chatted to the commanding officer, he's willing to let it go, he just wants you to apologize, he doesn't want to lose face. So I walked over, and I said sorry, and I was in the wrong, and it was my mistake, and I won't film his soldiers again. And he seemed happy with that, and he buggered off. It was only afterwards... By the way, at this point, I have to point out, I actually did have a backup of that tape because I was recording on a hard drive recorder at the same time. So I didn't actually care about giving him the tape. Um, maybe I should have been a bit quicker doing so, but I thought it would look more realistic if I sort of, you know, argued the point a little bit. I think I got the balance about right, but it was a bit scary. But anyway, long story short, it turned out these fuckers had found in the footwell behind me, which is why they were my new best friends, uh, a serious amount of money. Probably, I can't remember how much it was now, but one of my colleagues' bags was in the back seat with a few thousand dollars in it, and these guys had been going through the bags and had found it. And uh, that's why they were very, very happy when they all left, and they were all shaking hands on our best friends. But that was probably one of the scariest moments of my career. And there's been other similar moments, but I think as the first... My first experience of uh, the Congolese army was uh, pretty negative and not one to be repeated in a hurry. So one of the next questions I got asked on Instagram was, how has digital changed the way you shoot a video? It's a really good question, actually. And I don't know if it has changed it that much. I mean, a good shot is still a good shot. I guess if I'm being honest, probably my sequencing is different. Um, I think more in advance about what I'm going to shoot and I have to be able to tell a story better because usually I'm working on my own whereas when I did TV for like the first 12 years of my career I was always working with a team usually a producer and a correspondent so in a way I could kind of switch off the editorial side of my head and let them worry about it and I just focus on getting great shots now I don't have that privilege anymore working in digital because it's usually me on my own or maybe myself with a correspondent. And so I have to think much more editorially. I have to think much more in terms of how can I make this sequence more dynamic? How can I make it exciting? It's not going to have the benefit of a sort of slick Alan Little style voiceover. For those who don't know, he's a sort of top British correspondent who writes beautifully. It's not going to have that. So the shots in a way need to be even stronger. So I'm I guess I have to think about my sequences a lot more, think about my shots a lot more. So that's kind of the main ways. And also maybe just get those extra little shots that you don't need for TV 
although they are using them much more in TV now. Things like uh, a friend described it to me as the hero shot, you know, the shot of your main character sort of looking into the camera, that sort of thing. Maybe you try and think of small little devices which you wouldn't necessarily always use for a TV piece. Um, trying to think of an example, you know, like let's say you have a group of women and you say, so who's here, Who, you know, which of you here husband drinks too much and, you know, they all raise their hand, you know, the sort of thing that works really well for digital that may not play as well on TV, although, often, you know, it can do. But anyway, I guess my point is I don't necessarily shoot that differently for a digital audience, for an online audience, but I do edit differently. I, I, I have to make my edits so much more dynamic. You can't start with like nice GVs of a place, you know, with some great turn of phrase. You have to get straight into the action. You have to catch people straight off. Um, the way I sort of make online films has changed a bit recently. I've I've started enjoying working with correspondents again, especially those who understand digital video and are happy for me to kind of just do my thing and guide them. So I've really been enjoying longer form pieces. The last piece I've just done, which hasn't gone out yet, it's 10 minutes long. That's about the uh, coloured community in South Africa, and specifically an area called Westbury. For those who don't know, coloured in South Africa refers to people of mixed heritage, um, during the apartheid era, they were sort of classed as their own racial group. So we've just made a film about that. And, you know, I've brought back voiceover, which I hadn't used for a long time. Pieces to camera, which I hadn't used for a long time. But just in a much different way, you know, the pieces to camera, I try and make them much more relaxed, much more conversational. You know, I get my correspondents to lean against a wall, to sit on a bench. You know, none of this steepled fingers and gesturing to people behind them. You know, I want everything to feel relaxed, like they're having a conversation. So that's kind of the main, the main differences, really. And hopefully that gives you a sense of the way I work and how I try and make an online or, or digital film different to a traditional TV news piece. So another question, I can't remember if I've covered this in a previous podcast or not, is how did you get into video journalism? Well, the majority of video journalists I meet came from um, an editorial background. You know, they were either reporters, newspaper or radio journalists, that sort of thing, TV producers. I was a news shoot edit, and I've been a news shoot edit for a long time since, uh, well, in regional news, since 2003. So I worked for ITN first from around 2001. I think. I worked at ITN as a studio cameraman. I started there as a runner, became a studio cameraman. Uh, no interest in video journalism or even journalism particularly at this point, just in taking nice pictures. Then in 2003 I joined the BBC working in Manchester for Northwest Tonight. After just under two years with Northwest Tonight, I, I was working there as a cameraman and editor doing a bit of studio camera as well. Then I joined National News as a, what was called a BCJ, Broadcast Camera Journalist, which is basically just a bog-standard cameraman. Uh, technically, editing wasn't part of my job, but it, it, it soon did become part of the job. And luckily, I had an editing background, so that was easy. So anyway, I started traveling with that, you know, working in Moscow and covering the war in Iraq and so on, or not the war in Iraq, but uh, the British armies uh, fighting around Basra. Um, against the Shia militias and so on. And then in 2007, I became the BBC's Africa Bureau cameraman based in Johannesburg. 
did that for four years. While there, started doing some of my own pieces on the side for the BBC's website. At that point, I was one of the few cameramen doing it. So I would do what we call authored pieces or first-person pieces. In other words, films without a reporter. I started doing some behind-the-scenes type films, both for my own website and for the BBC website. And so this kind of got me interested in, in that type of filmmaking, you know, that non-standard news type of filmmaking. And then when I came back to London, uh, I, I tried to keep that up. And then eventually I got a job as a video journalist off the back of that with BBC World News. So I was kind of BBC World News uh, dedicated video journalist, you know, so I'd sit on the planning desk with their team and, you know, we'd look at what assignments I should do. And that was really good. I got to experiment and that's when I started working alongside the digital team as well. And then in 2015, I came back to Johannesburg as BBC Africa's uh, or the, the Africa Bureau, I should say, um, digital video producer. So basically a video journalist, and that's what I've been doing ever since, which is great fun, and I love it, and I get to make some amazing films and meet some amazing people, so I'm very, very lucky. And I don't think I would want to go back to being a traditional news cameraman. Not that there's anything wrong with that job, it's a bloody brilliant job, but I just like the freedom of working alone or choosing my own team and sort of, you know, pitching stories alongside correspondents rather than being told, oh, today you're doing this with this person, which is great fun still. I mean, the job of a TV news cameraman is bloody brilliant, but I think I prefer what I do now, and so I don't think I would change it. So, Coulter here, I've probably completely butchered your name, mate, but we speak quite a lot on Twitter, says, what do you find to be the hardest part of being a VJ? What do you find is the best part? I mean, I guess I've kind of touched on it, but the hardest and the best part are the same, in a way, and that is working on my own, which I often do. It can be the hardest part, because I have to do all the thinking, all the planning, all the setting up, all the phone calls, but it can also be the most rewarding and the best. You know, I it's my vision, it's my thought process. Every, everything is kind of from my creativity, which I really like and I really enjoy, but like I say, the downside of that is it can be very lonely and it can be a lot of pressure. It's not so bad on sort of nice relaxed features, but for the harder stuff and the faster turnaround, it can be quite hard to, to think of everything on your own. And sometimes it is really, really nice to work with a team, which I do sometimes, but not very often. And then also on Twitter, Joe Sheffer says, what's the future of this industry for guys like us? Is there one? Oh, shit, man, that's a really hard question and one I don't even think I would dare to try and answer. Do I think there's a future? Definitely. Is the future bright? Maybe for a few. I think the biggest problem I see is just lack of money. I think the future's bright in terms of making films and doing amazing stuff. The problem is getting paid the right amount of money to do it. You know, I'm seeing wages dropping so much, both for freelancers and, and staff crews that I just don't know where the future is. You know, I feel I've kind of just about timed my career right that I might just get through to sort of retirement age and scrape a living. But I fear for people coming through now, I think it's still a great job with amazing opportunities. My one biggest concern is the money side of things. I just think accountants are killing this profession. Understandably, I mean, I get it. You know, they're there to save money. And there's still a feeling that we should do this job for love and it's a hobby. And that really, really worries me. Um, 
It really does worry me. But hey, I might be wrong, and I hope I am. But for now, you know, I would say those of us in the industry, rather than focusing on the negatives, let's just keep enjoying it. I don't know about you, I still fucking love this job, and I'm not in a rush to give it up. So that's about all I've got for now. If you do have any more questions and you want to do another Q&A episode, please do reach out, get in touch. Both on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Image Junkies with an I-E-S. I've also got a website, imagejunkies.net. Please do comment uh, on iTunes, you know, add, add a comment. It really is appreciated and it really does help. To be honest, I, I do struggle with motivation to keep doing this podcast because it gets so few downloads, probably on average about 200 per episode at the minute. Um, so it is a struggle. Should have an episode coming up soon with an underwater cameraman called Jason Boswell who shoots amazing underwater stuff. So if that's your cup of tea, do, do subscribe because that's coming up. And I'm also working my way through a book by a World War I frontline cameraman. And I kind of want to talk about what, what he says in that book that's still relevant today or is still interesting. And that's all coming up. So do subscribe. Uh, spread the word, please. You know, Do tweet out the links to some of these episodes. Do share them because that really, really helps. And it makes me feel like I'm not completely wasting my time and shouting into an empty abyss. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Speak to you soon. Take care.